Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Uh, one thing that we have to touch on in looking at these passages through the book of Numbers, and not just Numbers, but in the entirety of the Bible, is to understand and remember that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. You must always remember that. Old Testament, New Testament, and even your testament, even in your life. Because if you remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, the Lord says, through his word, he says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. That's not good. You know, it says, then you are illegitimate and not sons. We are sons and daughters through Christ, through our belief and faith in Christ, a blood-bought people. We are sons and daughters. But at the, at the same time, understand that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And never, ever, ever forget that. Because if you remember in um, uh, uh, um, in verse 11, it's still in Hebrew, it says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, big key word here, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Very important to understand these New Testament verses in light of what we read in the Old Testament. So let's go to Numbers 12. And in Numbers 12, if you, if you remember in last week, how the quail, it was um, a, a form of, uh, it wasn't a good thing. You know, it wasn't a good thing at all because, you know, it was like, uh, uh, um, it became a curse to them. You know, the people say, we want meat, we want meat. And all of a sudden, the Lord's like, okay, here's your meat. But it wasn't good because of their murmuring and complaining. And it reminds me a lot about our own walks with the Lord. If you're, I say, I, I say my my walk with the Lord, but if you're honest, our walks with the Lord. How many times do we murmur and complain? You know, because we're wrapped in these earth suits. These are lessons that we have to understand and we have to learn. And I wonder how many people, if we hit, a, if we were to go in a time machine and go back in time to the camp of Israel. Right to this very moment in Numbers 11 where the people started to murmur and complain because they wanted meat. I wonder how many times we would hear amongst the people, you know, oh, you know, we're hungry. We want meat. We want meat. And then all of a sudden to have like heaps and heaps and mounts and plentiful amount of quail. And I wonder how many times we would hear in the camp people say, look, God answered our prayers. The Lord has responded. The Lord heard and the Lord answered our prayers. I wonder how many times we would hear that. I would venture to say probably a lot. And people would rejoice. Wow, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We had manna and now we have quail. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Look, God is with us. God has responded to all these things. Not understanding that it was a curse to them not understanding. Yes, they had their quail, but was it a good thing? It's very important to see these very deep spiritual truths because, you know, it, it, today, in our, let's go back to the time machine and come to today. 
Okay, so we're in today. And how many times, because of our own murmuring and complaining, our own murmuring and complaining. Yeah, and you know, I don't want, I don't say that to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But we have to put our feelings on the back burner. We have to put our feelings to the side when it comes to truth. Because, you know, I tell you the truth every time I read the Bible. Not every time, but it happens. My, my little feelers get hurt. You know, sometimes I'm a little snowflake when I read the Bible. You know, because my little feelers get hurt. Because it's like, wow, you know, wow, Lord, I love your word. This is so beautiful. You read a passage and then you turn the page and then boom, it's like a knife in your heart. Don't run from that. Don't run from his word when his word is like a knife in your heart. Embrace it. You know, he doesn't stab. The Lord will never stab you in the back. Never, never, ever, ever stab you in the back. That's what people do. That's what mankind does. That's what mankind and womankind does. You know, I I don't want to be overly abrasive. So, you know, I'm saying the womankind too. But that's what all of mankind does. People, mankind, we're the ones that stab in the back. But the Lord, he never does that. You know, he goes to the front, <laughs> you know, and it's not malicious. He goes to the front, you know, the Holy Spirit, like a knife in your heart. That's what truth does. Because remember, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. When that happens, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. When you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when you feel the conviction of truth in God's holy word, you have a choice to make. And those choices are this. Yield to the Lord or yield to your flesh. Those are your choices. And we studied that in Romans. Walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit. And I can urge you a million times a day, walk according to the spirit, walk according to the spirit, walk according to the spirit. And you can urge me a million times a day, walk according to the spirit, walk according to the spirit. But you know what? We're wrapped up in these earth suits. We don't always walk according to the Spirit. As much as we desire to, we don't always do that. Sometimes we walk according to the flesh and we learn our ways. And then all of a sudden we repent and we say, Lord, forgive me. I should have made this choice. And then all of a sudden the Lord brings us back to where we need to be. And we learn the next time we're in the fork in the road, all of a sudden we remember and we reflect back. We reflect back. It's like, wow, Lord, I walked according to the flesh and I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm going to go right this time. I'm going to walk according to the spirit. That's part of our journey in Christ. And even when we walk according to the spirit, we look at that. We're like, wow, that's so beautiful. Walking according to the spirit. Praise be to the Lord. And indeed, we can praise the Lord. But even on this narrow path in which we walk, we can still murmur and complain. And in our murmuring and complaining, you know, we still pray to the Lord, you know, making our prayers and supplications known. And I wonder if there's any situations in our lives where it's like Numbers chapter 11. Or it's like, Lord, I want quail, I want quail, you know, quail, you know, fill in the blank. I say quail, but, you know, put an empty line there. It could be whatever. Lord, I want this. Lord, I want this. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. And he says, okay, here, it's yours here. And we think, wow, look, we're blessed of the Lord. We're blessed of the Lord, not realizing that it's a curse. And I don't mean curse like we're going to burn in hell. I mean curse like it's a form of chastisement. Because remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. You see? 
How many people in the camp of Israel in chapter 11 were rejoicing on day one of the quail? Wow, praise be to the Lord. Look, my belly is nice and full of quail. How I longed for quail. How I longed for meat. And I was thinking about the fish back in Egypt, the the leeks and the garlic. Remember our study last week? And now I got this quail. Wow, God is good. Day two, God is good. You know, a week later, okay, God is still good. But wow, I am stuffed. I'm sick of this quail. Week two, you know, oh my goodness, I can't stand this quail. Week three, what in the world? I'm sick of quail. I hate this quail. Can I just go back to manna? You see? Sometimes the Lord teaches us in these, how, how he works, see, the lessons that we need to learn in our own walks with him. But you know what is better? I mean, we learn on our own walks with him, our own journeys with him. But you, you know what's better? To learn from his word. <laughs> it's so much better. Because we can look at what's happening in Numbers 11 and understand like, wow, Lord, this is wild. I never thought that, you know, you would chastise and work this way. But then, Lord, I don't want that for me. I don't want to be like that, Lord. And so, Lord, when it when I have a situation in my life where I want the proverbial quail, Lord, help me remember, help me remember numbers, numbers 11. You see? And it helps us in our walk. It helps us in our walk. It's an aid to us because we learn from the mistakes of others. We learn from the right choices of others. We learn from another person's journey. It's almost like Israel is ministering to us by their own testimony. The same way in our walks with Christ, your testimony can minister to another person. And and sometimes you don't even have to say words. I mean, if you're a former uh, crackhead, you're a former crackhead and you're on fire for the Lord. You love the Lord. I mean, former, you know, you've been saved from that. Do you know what kind, how powerful it is for a person who is currently a drug addict to see such a person like that, male, female, it doesn't matter, to see such a person like that and say, wow, that guy's clean. Wow, that lady's clean. How did you do it? And for that guy and that lady to say, you know what? I was a crackhead just like you, but I believed in Jesus Christ. I denied the crack and all of a sudden the Lord cleaned me up. The Lord cleaned me up and I'm walking. I live to glorify him. I don't live to glorify myself anymore. I live to glorify the Lord. Do you know how that testimony can minister to another person? And I say crack. I like to use the big ticket items. I mean, if you're involved in those big ticket items, you know, that's repent. Repent. But if you're involved in the little ticket items, repent. You see? Sometimes your witness, your testimony, your walk with the Lord is ministry in itself. Why? Because you're walking on a narrow path. You're making choices to honor the Lord. And that's called being the light. And it's also called being the salt of the earth. That's the salt of the earth. When the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. And I tell you the truth, the last day's church has no flavor. Flavorless salt. The last day's church, you know, the last day's church, when I say the last day's church, I speak at large, you know, the majority, 
But there's a remnant according to grace. The remnant. That's the people of the way. The remnant. Why? Because we understand truth. We study the word of God. We encourage one another. We help one another. We pray for one another. And the last day's church, you know, we read the Bible and there's prophecies about the, what the last day's church is going to look like. And the last day's church is either apostate, it is false, or it is true. It is being refined. And that's the people of the way. You see, Christians all across the globe, all across the globe, you see, in Africa, in Russia, in China, in Western lands, are people who understand the times. And as the world goes off in crazy town, as you know, the world's already in crazy town, as the church goes off in crazy town, a people of the way that says, no way. I'm not going to go grave soaking. No way. I'm not going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and call glitter the Holy Spirit. No way. I'm not going to do holy laughter. No way. I'm not going to get drunk with this pastor. No way. I'm not going to do this sexual stuff like this elder is doing. No way. I'm going to be on fire for the Lord and honor him and live righteously. You make a choice. You see? And there's, even as you make these choices, there's going to be times where you still murmur and complain. And yet we can learn from our own history too. You can remember back, harken back to times where you did murmur and complain. And you have to be honest with yourself. You know, you can't be overly sensitive and be like, you know what? I didn't really murmur and complain because you don't, you know, you're trying to, that's the, the, the psychology approach. And we don't take the psychology approach. You know, I, I, I don't I, I didn't murmur and complain, even though you know you murmured and complained, but no, 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 I, I didn't murmur and complain. You try to sweep it under the rug. No, you have to be honest with yourself. Say, you know what? I did murmur and complain. And you know what? The Lord chastised me. And you know, the next time you're in that situation, you remember. Say, wow, well, I don't want to go through that again. And so I'm going to keep walking on the narrow path and I'm going to be content with where I'm at. I'm going to be content with where the Lord has me at this particular moment in time for such a time as this. I'm going to learn contentment. I'm going to be content. You see? And in that state of contentment, you know, keep keep in the word. It's not just, okay, I'm going to be content and just, you know, live, you know, day to day. No, I'm going to be content and I'm going to be in the word. Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, what is it? What is your will? What would you like me to do, Lord? Lord, here I am. You see? How beautiful it is that we have. I mean, it's painful. It's painful to read Numbers 11. Painful. I, I, you can't candy coat certain things that are happening here in Numbers 11, what we studied last week. You can't candy coat it. I mean, there's some beautiful little, the beautiful things in Numbers 11 like little verses where it's like, wow, that's beautiful. Wow, that's beautiful. But the majority of verses in Numbers 11, it's painful. Painful. But in its entirety, in its impact to our walk, how beautiful is it for the Lord to show us the way through his word and teach us about murmuring and complaining? You see? Even understanding that, you know, like, 
perhaps there were people in the camp that were rejoicing, praising the Lord. You know, the first week, wow, praise the Lord. I can't believe we have all this quail. And in the course of a month, I'm sick of this quail. The Lord gave them exactly what they wanted. You know, we have to understand that when we pray to the Lord, it's the Lord gives us what we want, but in accordance with His will. Not to go to the Lord, Lord, give me a mansion on the beach. Lord, you know, I want a Lamborghini. Lord, I want a Ferrari. Lord, I want a Bentley. You know, it's, it, it doesn't work that way. And I wonder how many times people say, Lord, I want money. I want money. I want money. I want a Lamborghini. I want a Lamborghini. And then all of a sudden, I wonder if there are times when the Lord says, okay, here, here's your Lamborghini. Here's your mansion on the beach. Here's this that you begged for. Here's this here. But it's a curse. Rather than, you know, the Lord gives them what they want and it's a curse. You see, we have to be a people that learns contentment. You see. So here we get to Numbers 12. Numbers 12, verse 1. It says this. Then Miriam and Aaron, so this is his brother and sister, brother Aaron, brother Miriam. This is the brother and sister of Moses. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Translates as they criticized Moses. They were critical against Moses. Why? He says here in verse 1, because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, I read out of the New King James Version. New King James, and I'm not really particular to the Alexandrian texts. You know, reflect back to our study in, I believe it was Romans 11. I believe it was our study in Romans 11, where we had a little tiny dissertation about texts. And me personally, in my own walk, I'm not a fan of the Alexandrian texts. I am if you are a young believer. Um, like for example, like I don't, I don't like the message at all. If you have a Bible and it's the message, my recommendation is I don't consider that a Bible, but like the new living translation, the NIV, if you're like a brand new believer, I have no qualms with that. No qualms whatsoever. But if you've been walking with the Lord for like 30 years and you read out of the new living translation, I would say, okay, you know, encourage you like hey come on you know let's let's uh, let's 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 move on to you know a a a deeper text so like you know i kind of see it as like you know like if you look at like a, a, a second grade math book you know two plus two type of stuff i can kind of see that as the new living translation and the niv and then you get into like fifth grade math, you know, well, you know, you still go through second, third, fourth, but you get into fifth grade math. And I would see that as like, you know, uh, maybe NIV, ESV, you know, you get into like sixth, seventh grade, maybe ESV. But when you get into high school level, you know, then it's going to get a little different, maybe still ESV. But then you get into the uh, higher uh, academia, you know, spiritually speaking. Then you want to be in texts that are closely aligned with the Hebrew, Aramaic, and the Greek. 
And that is, I'm not a King James only person. I have to stress that because the Lord spoke to me through a coloring book, you know, a, or a comic book, a Bible co- comic book. The Lord spoke to my heart. Now, granted, I was like, whew, I was like a baby, like straight up Cheerio eating baby. But the Lord spoke to my heart through a comic book. It wasn't even, and it was like not even NLT, NIV. It was none of those. It was just straight up comics. But the Lord spoke to my heart. And he gave me, he, he, I, like, I wanted more. I was hungry. So I read the comic book Bible. And then all of a sudden I read the New Living Translation, the NIV, uh, the New King James, I, uh, uh, the NASB, uh, 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 ESV. And, you know, I settled on the New King James. It's kind of like a quasi King James. But, you know, I'm not a King James only person because if you remember, in, you know, in our study in, uh, um, Numbers, which one was it when there was Septuagint math? Uh, it was Numbers. Yeah, it was Septuagint math and Numbers 3, Septuagint math. So I'm not overly like, you know, hardcore King James only, but I like texts that are closely aligned with the Hebrew, Aramaic, and the Greek. Now, you... There are Bible versions that that strictly adhere to the uh, Hebrew and Aramaic and the and the Greek, but those like if you listen to sermons where it's, it's directly from the Greek, it'll blow you away. It'll blow you away. But you know, for our studies here, we do the New King James Version. And I say this because, you know, in verse 1 here in chapter 12 says uh, um, uh, that, that Miriam and Aaron spoke against, the Mo- spoke against Moses. They, had, they criticized Moses. Why? Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, how this translates is a Cushite. She's Cushite. Cush means black. So when you read the, see the region of the uh, Cushites, you know, it's like uh, uh, the, the northern tip of Africa, the, the uh, north, uh, northeastern tip, and it touches into modern day Saudi Arabia. But Cush is black. And so uh, the Cushites, it's kind of like when you read passages in the text, it's kind of like the uh, uh, Ethiopian. That's why in this text and in most texts, what they do is they just say Ethiopian. But it's really Cush. Now, I have to say something about verse 1 because there are certain theories about what happened here. This theory is that Moses had multiple wives. I don't believe that. That's a theory that Moses had multiple wives. Another theory is that Zipporah died and then, you know, Moses remarried. I don't believe that either. Another theory is that Moses divorced and he got remarried. I don't believe that either. And I have to say these theories, you know, the non-believers, they exploit these theories big time. They say, oh, well, you know, if Moses was such a good guy, why did he have multiple wives? Well, he didn't have multiple wives. Me, I believe that Zipporah, his wife, was a Cushite. Was a Cushite. That's what I believe, because remember, the Bible teaches that, you know, they were in the, uh, 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 um, that they were, uh, um, Midian, uh, 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 Jethro, he was a priest of Midian, okay? And he had, his daughters were Midianites. So, you know, I'll give you an example here. Say, for example, you're Mexican, okay? Say, for example, you're Mexican, and you move to Los Angeles, and you become a citizen. 
So something happens here. You're, you're several things. You're Angelino. You're Californian. You're American. You're also Mexican. And you're also Michoacan. You know, if that's where you're from. You're, you're all of those. So you say, which one is it? Are you from, are you Michoacan? Are you Mexican? Are you Californian? Are you Angelino? Are you American? Which one? It's all of it. It's everything. It's all of it. When you look at the maps, when you look at the historical maps of the, the region of the, the Kushites and the Midianites, you see a little, and on the outskirts, you see a little bit of overlay. It's not improbable to see that, you know, Jethro, who was a, a, a priest in Midian, and it, you see the, the region of Midian, and then you see the region of the Kushites. It's not improbable to see that overlay there. And so, me personally, I think Jethro married a Cushite. Jethro married a Cushite. Maybe Jethro was Midianite and he married a Cushite. And then they had kids and, you know, gave birth to Zipporah. So what's Zipporah? You look at multiple uh, uh, nationalities in a person. So you have a, 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 a Mexican dad who marries a, a, a Chinese wife. And then they have kids. So, you know, the kid is, you talk to, talk to the kid. Well, what are you, Mexican? Yes. You know, you ask the kid, are you Mexican? Yes, I'm Mexican. Well, wait, I thought you were Chinese. Yes, I'm also Chinese. You see? It's, you have a Chinese mom and a, a Mexican dad, you know? So it's like, that's kind of similar than what we're looking at here. Rather than come up with these theories of Moses having multiple wives, Zipporah died, Moses divorced. Rather than come up with these theories, let's look at the probabilities. Not only that, but you also see on the, the map, if you look at an overlay of a map, Old Testament map, you see that Midian and uh, 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 the region of Cush, they get very, very close. A little bit of overlay on the outskirts. Now, really quick to explain this, turn with me to Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. In Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 7 says this, I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. Kushan here is in a, re a region of, of Arabia, Kushan, but they're descendants of the Kushites, Kushites. So he says here in Habakkuk, he says, I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. You see, so here in this little verse, you see the, the, uh, 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 the overlap of Cushites, descendants of Cushites and the Midianites. So when people come up with these ideas, oh, Zipporah died or, you know, Moses has multiple wives or, you know, Moses divorced. No way. You know, there's no biblical support of those theories. But what there is support of biblically is the overlay of the Cushites, the overlay of the Midianites, and perhaps Jethro was a, a, a Midianite and he married a, a Cushite wife. They have kids, and it's so, you know, it, you have Zipporah who is, you know, both. Kind of like a half-breed, where, you know, one half is a, a Midianite, the other half is Cushite. Now, you have to look at probabilities sometimes. Probability, rather than come up with these crazy notions of, you know, Moses has multiple wives, Moses has five wives, Moses has ten wives. 
based on this verse like this, you have to look at the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Okay? So there was this beef that arose with the brother and sister of Moses. Miriam and Aaron, in verse 1, they criticized, they spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. I'm just giving the uh, Hebrew uh, Hebrew text. I you know changed Ethiopian to Cushite. That's what it is in the Hebrew Cushite. And Cush is black. And Miriam and Aaron, they had beef with it. You know what? It, it's, it, it's, it's what I love about this is that Moses had a Gentile wife. <laughs> I love it. You know, Moses as a type of Christ, you see, like we studied last week, you know, Moses as a type of, and I say it, I said it before, you know, like uh, uh, Joseph as a type of Christ. And Joseph had a Gentile wife, you see, from Egypt. And, you know, Moses, you know, the uh, 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 Cushite wife, you know, a, 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 a Midianite, Cushite, not Jewish, not, not of Israel. He has a Gentile wife. I love that so much because you see Moses as a type of Christ with a Gentile wife. You see Joshua, uh, 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 Joseph as a type of Christ with a Gentile wife. What does that say to us as Christians? As Gentiles. You know, I, I'm uh, assuming that, you know, if you're Jewish, you're Messianic, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. But because you are in Christ, there is no uh, Jew or Gentile. Because you're in Christ. There's no Jew or Gentile. The bride of Christ. But, you know, blindness has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. So I'm going to venture to say that the large majority of listeners are probably Gentiles. You know, looking prophetically, that blindness has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. That's from our study in Romans 11. But how beautiful it is to see these Old Testament passages with little glimpses of a future promise. The son of the Most High God having a Gentile bride. You see? How beautiful is it? You have these assurances of eternity. Here we are in 2021, 2021. And this text written long ago, giving us assurances today, comfort for today. Nevertheless, there was this family dispute, this family beef that arose with Moses, brother Aaron, and sister Miriam. Let's read on. In verse 2. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Whoa. So the brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, they criticized his wife. And now they criticize his leadership. Now, I have to tell you this. When leadership is desired, that's not good. You have to be careful with that. I mean, if you're a... A pew Christian, okay, you go to a church, you go to a fellowship, you sit in the pews and you listen to what's coming out of the pulpit. You observe the leadership, the elders, the pastor staff. 
And if in your observation of what you see, you see like corporate America, pole positioning for power, maybe you have, you know, a, a head elder and then you have like another elder that's gunning for a position he wants to be. So when that old elder retires, you know, this new elder could come in. When you see pole positioning like that, you see a little bit of uh, corporate mindset, corporate attitude in a church setting. That's not good. That's not good. If you're a pastor or co-pastor and you're pole positioning for a position, you want to be number one, you want, you're gunning, your goal, your aim is to be the head pastor, that's not good. If you're a pulpit Christian and that's you, you need to repent. If you're a pew Christian and you see that, you need to be very careful with that leadership structure. Because you know who the head pastor is of the church, of every single church? Jesus Christ. He is the head pastor of every church. He is the head Period. Every pastor that you see where you see their title, head pastor, you know, chief pastor. Biblically, they are co-pastors. That's it. Co-pastors. Because the head pastor is Jesus Christ. Anytime you see this where leadership is desired and you see the pole positioning, you see corporate, you know, corporatism inside the church. And when I say corporatism, I'm speaking like, you know, uh, corporate, you know, corporate, not corporate, like, you know, I mean, corporate, like company, like a business, you see, like a business model being applied to church, the, what's the fellow's name? I forgot the, 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 the Drucker type, you know, wherever you see that, or like the seeker friendly, uh, uh, seeker friendly model, or like the emergent church model, or the church growth movement, anytime you see that structure in a church, run run it's not good it's a sign of carnality you look at this criticism that aaron and miriam had on moses his wife and then also his leadership style you look at that criticism but then you look at the heart of moses did he desire leadership where do you see in our study in the bible in in exodus leviticus numbers where do you see Moses desiring to be the leader, desiring to be uh, like in he the, the, the headship? Where do you see it? In fact, you see just the opposite. Look at Numbers 11, just what we looked at last week. Look at Numbers 11, verse 11. This is Moses, his plea to the Lord. He says in verse 11, so Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid this burden of all these people on me? You know, you think Moses was gunning for pole position? You see, uh, 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 do you see Moses applying a business model here where he wants to be CEO, chief executive officer? Do you see that in Moses? He says in verse 12, did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to their land, which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get this meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me. That's what he says right here, right now. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Where do you see Moses gunning for position? Where do you see his desire to be CEO? Where do you see his desire to be a, a, a leader of Israel? Where? 
No, he is a leader of Israel, but it's by the will of the Lord. By the will of the Lord. Where you see leadership that is in obedience to Jesus Christ, that is good. That is good. Just like Paul. Paul, he's a leader. But where do you see him gunning for position? Especially in our study in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Yes, he's a leader. But he's the first to get off that pedestal and say, no, not me. We're nothing. That's what he says. People were saying, oh, I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Christ. Christ is everything. But, you know, of the people of, of Cephas, Peter and, and Apollos, he says, we're nothing. We are absolutely nothing. Remember, he says, I thank God that, that I only baptized two of you. And, you know, that I, I think that's kind of humorous because he's like, oh, by the way, there was these other people, too. And maybe these other people. But I praise God. I rejoice that I that I baptized none of like only two. You see? Where you see leadership in pole position, you know, oh, how many people do you have in your church? Oh, you know, how many elders do you have? How many co-pastors do you have? Oh, you know, I'm the head pastor, I'm the chief pastor, I'm the chief executive pastor. Or you see elders who, oh, I'm the uh, director of this. I mean, they like these titles. They like titles. That's carnality. That's the way of the world. People try to uh, apply a business model to the church structure. You can't do that. You can try. But then at that point, you cease to follow the biblical model. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and you're in that pole positioning game, Repent. Get off your high horse. Look at Paul. Look at Peter. Look at James. Luke. Dr. Luke. Where do you see them gunning for position? No, you see that their position is bowing before the throne of the head pastor, Jesus Christ. And so Miriam and Aaron, they have beef with their brother Moses. Oh, Moses, you married this Cushite. She's not one of us. She's, I mean, you know, she, she wasn't. She was Gentile. Zipporah. She's not one of us. I can, you know, whatever the beef was. They criticized him because of his wife, number one, and then because of his leadership. Verse two is, so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also. And notice here at the end of verse 2. And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it all. In verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble. Translates as humble. But lowly and meek. That's what is written of Moses. Now the man Moses was very humble. More than all the men who were on the face of the earth. How beautiful this is to see his humility. And you know who knew about the humility of Moses long ago, before this moment? The Lord. The Lord knew. When he sees this lonely shepherd, lonely shepherd walking through the wilderness, tending the flock of Jethro. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to use that guy. Because he sees his heart. 
He doesn't look at a lonely guy in the wilderness and says, oh, you know, who's this guy? Who's this little pipsqueak here? No way. He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. You see? And he knows. This is my guy. I'm going to use him. Just like he does with Paul, with Peter, with James. You hear me speak of these beautiful women like Chloe, you know, Lydia, Priscilla, you see, uh, Eunice, Lois. You know how beautiful it is to see these, the ministry of men, women, young, old. It doesn't matter because the Lord looks at the heart. And you know what? Right here, right now, the Lord is looking at your heart. Your heart. So many times people sit in the pews and they think like, okay, I'm just going to sit in the pews. And you know what? In 50 years, I'll die. Or in 60 years, I'll die. Maybe you're old. You know, in five years, I'll die. I mean, you don't know the number of your days, but, you know, you're probably not going to live to 180, you know, in these earth suits. You just figure, oh, I'm just going to sit in the pews and, you know, no big deal. But I wonder that as the Lord searches the hearts of men, women, young and old, I wonder if he's saying, you know what? He's looking at you and saying, that's my guy. He's looking at you and saying, that's my girl. I'm going to use her. I'm going to use him. Moses had no idea. He's, you know, when he woke up that day when the burning bush, when the, the day he saw the burning bush, when he woke up that morning, he probably slept really lightly. I wonder if he slept at all. Why? Because he had to be on the lookout for wolves. In danger, you know, a wandering sheep. He had to be on the lookout, wandering flock. You know, so I wonder if he slept very lightly, if he slept at all, maybe just like a little cat nap. If he slept at all. Because yes, he's tending the flock. And I wonder when he woke up that morning. I mean, he had no idea what was going to happen. He had no idea the burning bush that he would see it. He had no idea that the Lord would have a plan for his life. No idea. He just woke up that morning and said, okay, I'm going to tend the flock. I'm going to, you know, I'm doing my thing. You know, I'm tending the flock. You know, I, I left Egypt and here I am with Jethro. And, you know, I married his daughter. And, you know, uh, 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 here I am tending the flock. I'm out here in the wilderness. He had no idea. He just woke up. Okay, it's got another day. He had no idea what the Lord was going to do with his life. He had no idea that the Lord had a plan for his life. The same way, I wonder if you woke up this morning and just figured, okay, it's Wednesday. It's just a regular day. I'm going to go through my Wednesday routine. And I wonder if in your heart of hearts, if you understand, and I don't say this as like, you know, to be critical. But I wonder if you understand that the Lord has a plan for your life, that the Lord wants to do something with your life. He wants to use you as a vessel. What that is, whatever ministry, whatever capacity, I don't know. That's not for me to say. But Moses had no idea how the Lord was going to use him. And the Lord used him. But before the Lord used him, the Lord saw his heart. That's pretty hardcore what we look at in verse 3. Because we see a little picture of the heart of Moses. Now the man Moses was very humble, he says in verse 3. 
more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Wow. Wow. Suddenly, suddenly, translates in the Hebrew as instantly, instantly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting, exclamation point. So the three came out. Very interesting what we see here. So you see, three speak. You know, so Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, three speak, and God hears. Because at the end of verse 2, the Lord heard. Three speak, God hears. God speaks, three hear. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. You think, okay, three speak, God hears. Wow, praise be to the Lord. God speaks, three hear. Wow, praise be to the Lord. God speaks and three obey. Wow, praise be to the Lord. All beautiful. All beautiful because the Lord says, hey, you three, Come out to the tabernacle of meeting, and the three came out. So you see obedience. Three speak, God hears. Praise be to the Lord. God speaks, three hear. Praise be to the Lord. God speaks, three obey. Wow, God is good. Praise be to the Lord. But you know what you see here? It looks good, seemingly good. And I'm going to say something controversial. And, you know, prepare yourselves. Today... Today, God speaks through his word. He speaks through his word. You know, the world, they don't hear. They, uh, many, The majority of people don't acknowledge the Bible as the word of God. And I speak to Christians in saying this. That many here, among us, you read the Bible, you're hearing the word of the Lord. You have the word of the Lord before you. I'm trusting that you have your Bible open. You're, you hear the word of the Lord. So in the entirety of the world, the, all the population of the world, fewer than the entirety of the pop population hear his word. A fewer number than that obey his word. The messengers are even fewer. Messengers are even fewer in whatever capacity. Pastor, teacher, you know, serving ministry, whatever, uh, 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 prophecy, whatever kind of ministry, helps ministry, whatever kind of ministry, fewer are his messengers. And I have to say this. You must, you must, we must. There are three things, three criteria that are huge, huge. Humility. Humility. That's very important. Because if you go to a church and you see the pastor who's puffed up, full of pride, you know, gunning for position. Oh, I'm the head pastor. I'm the head pastor. I'm the chief pastor. I'm the president and CEO of, you know, XYZ church. That's not humility. It's pride arrogance you have to look for humility you also have to look for so sound doctrine you know you could have a a humble guy that teaches poison that's not good you have to look for sound doctrine and in order for that to happen you have to be a berean you have to study and then on top of that look at the fruit 
Look at the fruit. Turn with me really quick to Galatians chapter 5. Now, when I say look to the fruit, I'm not talking about the look at the fruit like the size of a church. A lot of pastors, they like to get in this size game. You know, oh, how big is your church? How, how many people come to your church? I have a thousand people. Oh, that's nothing. I have five five thousand people. Oh, that's nothing. I have ten thousand people. Oh, that's nothing. How many do you have? Uh, a hundred. You know, and that's the little pipsqueak, the pipsqueak pastor. Carnally speaking, when I say fruit, I'm not talking about the number of people, as in the size of a church. The last day's church is but a remnant. Never forget that the last day's church is but a remnant. When I say fruit, I'm talking about Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. You see, when you consider the messengers of the Lord, you have to look to those three criteria. And there's others, but those are the three biggies. Humility, sound doctrine, and the fruit of the Spirit. Where one is lacking, be careful. If two are lacking, run. If three are lacking, run far, 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 far away. I mean, if you see an elder, a pastor, a teacher, a minister, a worship leader who is prideful and arrogant, and they teach false doctrine, and you don't see the fruit of the Spirit, but you see the fruit of the flesh, run. Run. But where you see the opposite, you see humility, you see sound doctrine, and you see the fruit of the Spirit, there's safety. Safety. You see? It's very important to understand these things of what is happening here. So immediately, instantly, so, you know, Miriam and Aaron, they have this beef with their brother. I can't believe you married that Cushite. And, you know, I, I've been wanting to get this off my chest. And so now I'm going to tell you, I can't believe you married her. You think the Lord speaks only through you, Moses? Does he not speak through us also? The Lord hears it. In verse 4, suddenly, instantly is how that translates. The Lord says, hey, you three, go to the tabernacle. You see? And so they obey. And the, so the three came out. Verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door at the tabernacle and called Aaron, Aaron and Miriam. Whoa. This is scary. I mean, you know, I grew up with brothers, you know? No sisters. I grew up with brothers. And, you know, it's like when uh, one of my brothers got in trouble, you know, or any brother, you know, when they got in trouble, it's like, whoa. You know, oh, man, they're toast. Like, we do something, you know, messing around outside. And I was a little, so I knew, like, you know, because I was the runt, the expectation in my home was like, you know, hey, you know, be nice to this kid because he's the little one. You know, so I got away with murder. You know, the, it's always the, the babies of the family that get away with murder, you know, because the older ones have this certain expectation. So, you know, that was me. You know, I was, you know, that's just the ways of the flesh. You know, that's carnality. So I got away with murder, and I knew I did, too. So like, you know, my dad would call my older brothers, you know, you know, I'd be like, whoa, they're going to get it. They're going to get toasted, you know. And I read, I kind of see that here with Aaron and Miriam, not that they're going to get toasted, like, but it's like, whoa, you know, this isn't going to be good for them. The Lord immediately says, hey, you three come over here. And then they all three go. And so they're at the door of the tabernacle, all three, except for the two. 
Aaron, Miriam, come here. You see? And they both went forward, says in verse 5. Then he said, remember, to Aaron and Miriam, the brother and sister of Moses, who were critical of Moses, critical of his wife, critical of his leadership. And the Lord says this, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. So a prophet, the Lord says, I make myself known to him through a vision. I speak to him in a dream. That's for a prophet. That's for a prophet. But then he says in verse 7, Not so with my servant Moses. You see? How beautiful do we see in the relationship with Moses and the Lord? How beautiful is this intimacy that we see with them too? Moses and God. God and Moses. Intimacy. You hear me say all the time, intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. Old Testament and New Testament, intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. Oneness with the Lord. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. How beautiful is it? Look at what the Lord is doing. Not just here in Numbers 12, but Exodus. How Moses was used as a vessel. How the blueprints were given to Moses in the cloud. Intimacy. I don't say intimacy just so, you, okay, you know, you know, spend your time with the Lord and, you know, you, you're fine. It's not like a religious kind of thing. I say intimacy like, you know, like let there be no gap between you and the Lord. So much so that you're inside of him and he's inside of you. Abiding in Christ and Christ in you. That's how close. The Lord says, you know, for prophets, I, you know, I, I'll, I give them visions. I give them dreams. But it's not so with Moses. Not with my servant Moses. Because he says in verse 7, he is faithful in all my house. Remember, he was humble too. The most humble of men on earth. And he is faithful in all my house, the Lord says. I speak with him face to face. Now it is written, no man has seen the face of the Lord and lived. So you read this and you're like, wait a second, what is this face to face? Some translations say mouth to mouth, but how it translates in the Hebrew, Hebrew more accurately is mouth near mouth. And I love that so much. Have you ever had close, conversa co close conversation with somebody so close that you could smell their breath? Like you know what they ate for lunch? You're so close, you know, mouth near mouth that you could smell their breath. So close that you can not only smell their breath, but you can feel their breath. Like when they're speaking, you can feel their breath on you. Have you ever spoken that close to somebody? And it doesn't matter. You know, like I'm not talking about, you know, like like you're so close and you can smell like garlic and onions. You're like, oh, that's nasty. Not like that. Intimacy. You could care less about what the breath smells like. You could care less about if they have broccoli in their teeth. Why? Because you love them. Intimacy. You love them, they love you. Intimacy. You see? And I'm not speaking like, you know, when I say intimacy, if your mind goes off into crazy town, your mind goes off into carnal thinking, you get that out of your head and repent, you know? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If in your mind, your mind is going off into crazy town, repent. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
If I speak about intimacy with the Lord and your mind goes off into crazy town, repent. If I speak about closeness to where you can feel the breath of a person on you and your mind goes off into crazy town, repent. I'm not speaking carnally. You say, why do I have to repent for, you know, what's in my mind? Because 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's why a lot of Christians, the world is the world. A lot of Christians get into trouble because they don't put their mind into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see what's going on in their mind. What's going on in their mind? I've had people in ministry before. Christians tell me, you know what? Uh, uh, I, I should be a producer of pornography. I should produce pornography movies. A Christian tells me that. And then like laughs about it. Disgusting, disgusting filth. You see? The church. How we need to be washed by the Lord. People say, oh yeah, you guys are so brainwashed, you're brainwashed. Well, what mind doesn't need a washing? You know how stinky you are after like two weeks of no bathing? A month of no bathing, two months no bathing, you know how stinky and funky you're going to get? You're going to be nasty. But the same thing applies in our mind, in our heart. We need to be washed of the Lord. Yes, there's the washing. Oh, like, you know, you believe in Christ and you're washed by the blood of the Lord. Yes, there's that. And praise be to the Lord for that. But what about daily? Every day. That's how beautiful intimacy is. And the Lord says here in verse 7, Not so with my servant Moses. I, you know, I don't speak to him in a vision. I don't speak to him in a dream. I speak to him at face to face. And it translates as mouth near mouth. That's how close they are, their intimacy. Even plainly, he says, plainly translates as plainly, translates as in a vision, it translates as in an illustration, and it translates in as presentation too, which I bring up for a specific reason. If you remember in Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 7, uh, when Stephen was, uh, you know, giving his dissertation to the council, the so-called learned people, the so-called learned class, the religious establishment of that time. And he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 44, he says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, as God appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Whoa. So the Lord showed him. You hear me talk when we were in our study in Exodus, how, you know, the Lord gave him the blueprints of the tabernacle, the blueprints of the clothing, the blueprints of everything, the, over, the, the outlay. He gave him the blueprints, the blueprints, the blueprints. And you think, okay, the Lord spoke to him, the blueprints. But what is revealed here in Acts chapter 7, verse 44, is that the Lord gave him instructions to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. God was showing him the blueprints, which... We reflect back to Numbers chapter 12, and you see that he says, I speak to him, I speak with him in verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7, Numbers. He says, I speak with him face to face, even plainly, which is, you know, translates as plainly, 
but it also translates as in presentation form, like an illustrative, which, you know, you look at what, what the Holy Spirit gave to Stephen, how he revealed that to Stephen. It shows you a lot about that intimacy. Moses on the mountain. Moses on the mountain with Joshua. Except Moses went a little bit higher into the cloud. And in the cloud, the Lord spoke to him mouth near mouth. And we're showing him like illustrative, like, you know, look, Moses, this is what the tabernacle looks like. These are the blueprints. I'm giving you these blueprints. This is what they look like. Like in presentation format. That's some intimacy. Moses didn't have a vision of that. Moses didn't see that in a dream. The Lord straight up spoke it to Moses and showed him, gave him the, 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 the pattern that Moses saw with his eyes. You see? And the Lord is saying that to Aaron and Miriam. Maybe they forgot. Maybe they forgot. And so he says, I speak with them face to face, even plainly. And not in dark sayings, which trans translates as in a puzzle or in a riddle or in Proverbs or in Maxims. You know how the Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke in parables? And then the disciples, they're like, what does he mean when he says that? I don't get it. What is? It? Why does he speak in parables? And then all of a sudden, the Lord would translate the parables. Look, you know, I speak in parables for everybody, but for you, you know, I'm going to explain the parables. And how beautiful when the uh, disciples, after the resurrection of the Lord, and they were like marveling that the Lord went up. And in Acts 1, the, the angel comes down and says, what? Why do you marvel? Because this same Jesus, he's going to come back again. The same way he rose up, they say he's going to come down again. Why do you marvel? I love the angels. The angel's like, you know, what, what, what's up, guys? I'm kind of paraphrasing, but, you know, why do you marvel? Is, is the Lord not going to come back when he told you he would? And the angel's like, why do you marvel? I love that because, you know, it gives you, it shows you a little bit of the angel class, you know, the, the, the obedience of the angel class. Remember that the, the bad angels, they were thrown out with Satan, but the beautiful angels, the obedient angels, they remain there. They're angels of the Lord, messengers of the Lord. And the Lord says something, boom, you know, to say you can take it to the bank. That's for the carnal people. The angels, the Lord says something. Um, there's like no doubt whatsoever. The Lord says this. Okay. That's how it is. The Lord says, okay, that's how it's going to be. The Lord gives an order. The Lord gives a command. Okay, that's I say, or as, you know, military speaking, you know, the Lord gives an order. Not that he's like, you know, mankind giving orders, but, you know, the Lord says, do this. Okay, the angel says, okay, I'm going to do this. Gabriel, Michael, whatever angel. That's, that's the obedience of the angel class. And so the Lord says he's going to return. And so when the people, when the disciples, they were marveling. Like, oh my goodness, he's going in the clouds. He's gone. He's doing this. And the angel's like, guys, like, why do you marvel? Why do you marvel? I mean, you see Jesus ascending. Like, why do you marvel? He said he would do this. Why do you marvel? He said he would come back again. Why do you marvel? You see? 
It's like, oh yeah, that's right. Why do I marvel? Let it be a boost to our faith that when the Lord in his word says whatever he says, I don't mean to you know minimize whatever he says, but I mean like everything, you know, Genesis to Revelation. I don't mean to say like whatever he says, like, you know, to minimize it. But Genesis to Revelation, everything that's contained in Holy Scripture, whatever it is, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the passages of truth that we have all over the place, these lessons that we're learning about murmuring and complaining, about being content, whatever he says. Should we really marvel? Do we need to marvel? I mean, I say we can take it to the bank, his word, but that's like, I don't like saying it. I like saying it for sake of, you know, to explain. I'm like, if you're a non-believer and I say you can take it to the bank, I like saying it like that because it's like, it's a sure thing. But then I don't like saying it like too, because it's like, it cheapens. It's like, it's, it's, it cheapened to take it to the bank. That's like carnal. Why do you marvel? Why do I marvel? Why do we marvel? Every jot and every tittle of his holy word will come to pass. Will come to pass. As surely as he lives, it will come to pass. You, me, we need not marvel. Need not marvel. Let us be a people of contentment, understanding these times. And as we're encouraged, as we're exhorted by these beautiful, beautiful men of old, women of old. I see women. Look at the ministry of Chloe. You see the ministry of Eunice and Lois, the ministry of Lydia, James and Peter, Jude. Let us be encouraged and let us heed their words in redeeming the times while being content. Let us learn contentment. Let us learn to be intimate with Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. Closeness, abiding in Him and Him in you, abiding in Him and Him in us, a people of the way. And the Lord says, you know, I speak with them, speaking about Moses, I speak with them face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. So how the Lord spoke to the uh, disciples in parables. And sometimes they just didn't get it. And sometimes the Lord would explain in detail. And sometimes he didn't. But afterward, after the angel says, why do you marvel? Why do you marvel? It was later that they reflected back and they said, oh, I remember when the Lord said this. Oh, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. You see? It's the beauty of intimacy. Not just with Moses and the Lord. Not just with Matthew and the Lord. Not just with Zephaniah and the Lord. Chloe and the Lord, Esther and the Lord, you, my friend, you and the Lord. 
intimacy with him. You. I love your family. I love that. I love that. You know, I love, but I'm speaking to you. You make a choice. Your intimacy with him. He says this at the end of verse 8 or the middle of verse 8. And he sees the form of the Lord. The Lord is speaking to, to Miriam and, 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 and Aaron about the intimacy that he has with Moses. And he sees the form or the shape of the Lord. You see how beautiful intimacy is? You see? And in John chapter 5, verse 46, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals to the Pharisees, Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me, he tells them. At the transfiguration. The transfiguration, you see Moses and Elijah, but you don't see them asking Jesus Christ, wow, who are you? You do not see Moses and Elijah wonder, who, who is this guy that's with us? No, they know who Jesus is. Why? Because they had prior intimacy with him. They don't wonder. They see the Lord. And because of this intimacy that they had with them, they know who he they, Lord, it's you, Lord. They know. Like the Lord says, my sheep know my voice. They know. They didn't say, Moses and Elijah, they didn't say, who, who are you? No, they knew Jesus. Why? Because of their intimacy with him. And so once the Lord reveals to Aaron and Miriam, his intimacy that he has with Moses and the intimacy that Moses has with the Lord. Once he reveals this to Miriam and Aaron, the ones who said to Moses, they says in verse two, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses, only exclusively through Moses? Remember, God, God heard them. God heard them. And they still hear the Lord. And all three obey. But there's something different. Something different about Moses. And the Lord asked them a question in verse 8. Why then were you not afraid? Remember, he's speaking to Aaron and Miriam. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my, ser my servant Moses? Why? You see? And it's to have reverence. It's not like reverence, like he is Lord. It's reverence, like, okay, the Lord is speaking through him. I have to tell you something in my own walk with the Lord. You know, you hear me speak about it, like in verse, the end of, like, when I mentioned how uh, three speak, God hears, uh, God speaks, three hears, God speaks, and three obey, how beautiful it is. But from my, my own personal walk, the messengers, the messengers that have been placed in my life to minister to me, and to give me a special word, a special word of encouragement, and even a special word of warning even. It's very special people. And when I say you must look for these three criteria, you must look for humility, you must look for sound doctrine, you must look for the fruit of the Spirit. I don't say this like I'm just, you know, cherry picking these ideas. I say this because this is what I've applied in my life. In the entirety of my walk with the Lord, 
I have encountered many, 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 many Christians, believers, brothers and sisters. And I praise the Lord for these relationships, these friendships. I praise the Lord. But among these people, there are a tiny, tiny, tiny few that are extra special. Very, very special. It's where these three criteria are evident. The humility, sound doctrine, and the fruit of the Spirit. These are people that when they speak, I listen closely to. And I'm not trying to deify anybody. But because of their witness, because of their humility, their sound doctrine, the fruit of the Spirit, I lend ear to these people. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are not pastors. You see? Some are male. Some are female. When these people speak, I lend ear to them big time. There's other people, brothers and sisters. They speak. And it goes in one ear and out the other ear. That's nice, brother. That's nice, sister. Why? Because I look at the humility, I look at the doctrine, and I look at the fruit. You see? And that's my encouragement to you. From my own testimony, when I was a non-believer, when I was a non-believer, these messengers, you know, like Christians, who were used of the Lord. When I was a non-believer, I hated them. I reviled them. How dare this Christian say that? How dare this person say that? When I was lukewarm, lukewarm, I was a Christian, but when I was lukewarm, I still reviled them. How dare this pastor say that? He is so judgmental. Don't judge me lest you be judged. And I still reviled these And it was only through maturity that I gained this deep and profound respect for these people. A very small, minute few. Among the Christians, among the multitude of Christians. A very small, minute few that I have a deep, 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 profound respect for. You see? Messengers used of the Lord. And it's key, very important to look for humility, sound doctrine, sound doctrine, you see, and the fruit of the Spirit. Because you're listening to somebody that hasn't, isn't talking the talk, but that person has walked the walk. A brother comes to you, hey, brother, can I tell you something? Hey, sister, can I tell you something? Or a sister comes to you, hey, brother, can I tell you something? Hey, sister, you know, these people, these are people like uh, Priscilla, Aquila, Paul, you know, Chloe. And, you know, if you're a pew Christian, you're sitting in the pews and you just figure, okay, I'm going to sit in the pews, I'm going to listen. Always be open when you render obedience to the Lord and you yield to Him. Always be open to how the Lord wants to use you. Always. Because you don't know how. Remember, the morning Moses woke up and saw the burning bush, bush, he had no idea he was going to see a burning bush that day. No idea. 
the week prior. He had no idea a year prior, two years prior, 40 years prior. He had no idea what was going to happen to him on that day. He had no idea. But yet the whole time the Lord, remember Hebrews 11, the halls of faith, everything, how, you know, and, and faith beget faith, the faith of, of his parents, the parents of Moses. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews 11. I'll read it. In Hebrews 11, verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. You see, the faith of his parents, it helped him as a little child because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Remember the command was given, kill all the kids, kill all the newborn, uh, the newborn males. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Very interesting. The passing pleasures of sin. Let's reduce that a little bit. The pleasures of sin. You think about the pleasures of sin. You know what? They're passing. They're temporal, you know? When I was an alcoholic, I would drink my guts out, drink my brains out. And you know what? I always wanted more. I always wanted more. I'd pass out, wake up, or what in the world happened? Where in the world am I? You know? Who are these people? It's like, you, you wake up and you're like, what? I don't, you're like, you don't even know. Stupid. Foolishness. Wickedness. You see? It's passing. You see all this, you know, it's, it's Super Bowl is going to be on. All these people are going to watch the Super Bowl. You see all these beer commercials. You never see a beer commercial where it's like, you know, they show a guy with his face in the toilet. You never see a beer commercial where you have like, you know, a 40-year-old who's dying of liver disease because he drank his whole life, a lady drank her whole life. You never see the, you know, you look at the, the skin of a person who's an alcoholic. They just look hard. Different. Because of alcohol abuse. You never see you never see like a, a, a beer commercial where it's like, okay, yeah, you drink our beer. Look, your face is going to be in the toilet. Drink our beer. Look, you're going to die of liver disease. Drink our beer. Look, you're going to look like this. No, they always show the party scene. The pleasures of sin. Let me tell you something. They're passing. And just like Moses in verse 25, Hebrews 11 Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy, enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You see, people say, oh, I'm going to be a Christian. Everything's good to go. I'm going to be a Christian and my life is going to be better. I'm going to be a Christian in this. I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ. Wow, praise be to the Lord. But once you become a Christian, you have a big target on your back. Not just on your back. You have a big old, you know, a target on your forehead, a target on your chest, a target on your shoulders, a target on your legs, everything. Why? Because Satan wants to kill you. When you're in his camp, when you're in Satan's camp, he already knows he's going to kill you. He already knows you're, you're on your, your, the pathway to destruction. But he doesn't have to worry about you. 
But once you change camps, you go from the camp of Satan and you join the camp of Jesus Christ because of your faith, you believe in Jesus Christ. Boom, you have a target on your back. You see? In verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Very interesting. So the pleasures of sin and the riches of Egypt, he denied. Very interesting. Why? In verse 26, because of faith, but in verse 26, he looked to the reward. For he looked to the reward, something that was unseen. Let it be a message for us. Let it be a message for you and for me. Let us look to the reward in Christ. It will help you. It will help you. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see? By faith, he kept the Passover and for the sprinkle of, of blood, lest he who, who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they, 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 plural. So you look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. You see? And you see his, the parents, because they were not afraid of the king, the parents, they made their own stand. The parents made their stand. And the parents' stand, it helped the kids. It helped Moses. Let that be a hardcore message for parents. When you make a stand for Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, it's like a tremendous aid for your kids. Your stand helps them. Just like the stand of his parents who feared not Egypt, who feared not Pharaoh, who gave the commands to kill the, all the male, the, the, the born males. Kill them, all the baby boys. And they were not afraid. And it helped the faith of Moses. It buttressed the faith of Moses, the walk of Moses. And so you see the parents, and then you see Moses, and then in verse 29, by faith, they passed. Plurality, not by faith, Moses passed. By faith, Moses and his family passed. By faith, Moses and Aaron and Miriam and their families passed. No, by faith, Israel passed. You see? Plurality. You might be a pew Christian today, and I praise the Lord for that. But just like Moses, you have no idea how the Lord wants to use you. You have no idea. But he wants to use you. One day you're going to wake up. And you know what? You might get the order. And I don't mean the order like, you know, like... I say that, you know, militarily speaking, you know, when you receive orders, it's like, okay, you know, yes, sir. Aye, aye, sir. And you do it, you know, when you receive orders, usually it's the, you know, if you're changing camps, you know, you get to report to another commanding officer, you're, you're doing some type of formal changeover and you have to report, you know, reporting as ordered. But when you receive these commands, you don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen next week. It could happen next month. It can happen in 50 years. It can happen in 20 years. You have no idea when it's going to happen. 
Before that moment comes, look at the preparation that Moses' parents did for him. Look at the preparation that Moses had when he was, you know, as a kid, when he, Moses, uh, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction. All these choices that you make today, heeding the word of God, yielding to the word of God, yielding to the Holy Spirit, learning, having this understanding of Holy Scripture, not being a novice. And then all of a sudden, you know what? I'm going to use you for this. The Lord is going to speak to your heart, okay? I want you to do this now. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. The Lord does not make mistakes. You see? In verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Very interesting. You see people, you know, they they can fake the funk with man, but you can't fake the funk with the Lord. You cannot. And they try. Moses in his leadership that Aaron and Miriam are critical of in our study in Numbers, they're very critical of. Critical of his wife too. And they're critical of the leadership of Moses. And then, you know, you look at, okay, you know, Moses, Israel, they go through the water and you put yourself in the Egyptian camp. Okay, we're going to do the exact same thing. We're going to do it too. We're going to go through the water and we're going to walk, except they didn't have the Lord. You see, the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. God was with Israel. Israel was with God. Moses was with God. You see, how faith can buttress the faith of another, how a person's stand can buttress that of another. It's like, like, a, like if everybody's holding candles and a couple candles go out, your candle can ignite another. I say candle because not lamp. The lamp is very special. That's very personal. The lamp is for you. You have to be very selfish with the oil in the last days when the darkness comes and the darkness is getting worse. Be very selfish with the oil. Store your oil in these days because you're going to need it. We are going to need it. Our own oil. Let's go back to numbers. The Lord, he says to Miriam, he says to Aaron, why then? All these things, I speak plainly to him. I speak plainly to Moses, not in dark sayings. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In verse 9, so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. Wow. He departed. Very interesting because you see, okay, so it's like, uh, is this it? Is he just going to say, like, are you not afraid of my servant Moses? And then, boom, he's gone? No. Look what happens here. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Now, it's not the good white as snow. You know, when our sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, our sin is why we're white as snow. But this is a bad white as snow. She became leprous. 
leprous. Her skin changed. She became unclean. Not good. Not good. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. You see, unclean in the camp of Israel. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, not a capital L. Oh, my Lord. So look at the change of heart here. All of a sudden, Aaron acknowledges uh, uh, Moses, not as Lord, a capital L, but as a messenger, as a vessel that is being used of the Lord, as a servant of the Lord. You see, Aaron says to Moses, Oh, my Lord. Please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. You see, the acknowledgement of their error. The acknowledgement of error. Now, I have to say something. In the acknowledgement of error, I'm the first to admit it hurts. It is painful when you acknowledge your error because it requires a denial of self. You have to be the one to confront your own self and say, you know what? I was in the wrong. The prideful need not apply. You have to confront your own carnal nature and admit that you're in the wrong when you're in the wrong. And then when you get to that point, and I tell you from experience, it's painful. Because now there is a time of reaping what you have sown. That whole, I say process, but it's, it's holy. I don't know what the word is. I, I, I have limited vocabulary. I don't know what the word is. I, I, I say process, but it's a holy process. There's got to be a word for that. I just don't know what it is. But it's a holy process. It's sanctification. Maybe that's the word. It's helpful because we learn, we grow, we matriculate. We go from preschool to kindergarten to first grade to second to third to fourth to fifth to sixth to seventh, oh, high school, middle school, high school, and then uh, higher education is uh, spiritually speaking. I'm not talking about you know going to college. I'm talking about you know spiritually. We matriculate and we learn. We mature in Christ. This maturity in Christ is something that the Corinthian church did not do. For three years, three years of arrested development. Three years arrested development. But it took those in the household of Chloe to give a message to Paul. And when Paul got the message, Paul says, okay, let's take care of this. I'm going to write a letter. Paul, who was non-carnal. To restore such a one, such a church as Corinth, a carnal church. You see, a vessel like Paul, vessels like those in Chloe's household, a vessel like Moses, all servants in the master's house. And that's, read Hebrews 3. Servants. You see? And so Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and which we have sinned. There's the acknowledgement of sin. So remember, they, you know, they had beef with Moses. Moses, I can't believe you. You, you married this Cushite. 
I can't believe it. She's not even Jewish. She's not even of Israel. What are you doing, Moses? What have you done? Oh, and by the way, Moses, the Lord speaks through you only? Has he not spoken through us as well? And immediately the Lord says, hey, meet me at the tabernacle. You too. Aaron, Miriam, come here. Chastisement. It's not chastisement like, you know, I'm going to beat you to a bloody pulp. No, remember, Hebrews 12, he disciplines those whom he loves. You see? Very interesting. And now Aaron is acknowledging his sin. Miriam acknowledging her sin. Now she's a leper. She's a leper now, which means she's unclean. Legally speaking, in accordance with the law, that's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, you know, that she's a leper. She's her, She's been changed in a bad way. But legally speaking, she's biblically unclean. The acknowledgement of sin. Wow, I'm unclean. And now there's a process of sanctification to become clean again in accordance with the law. Now, we're not of the law. I'm not advocating the law. But I am advocating this process of sanctification. You see? Sanctification. When you sin, when you trespass. Not if, when. Not you, we. I'm in the same boat. When we trespass. You see? The acknowledgement of sin the acknowledgement of our carnal nature. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I blew it to forgive me. Help me learn. You walk according to the flesh. Lord, forgive me. I've blown it. Lord, I want to walk according to the spirit. And I'm going to make these choices that honor you. My friends want to do crack. I'm going to tell them to fly a kite. My friends want to do meth. I'm going to tell them to fly a kite. And you know what? They're not going to be my friends anymore. You see? Remember, friendliness with the world is enmity with God. And I'm not saying, you know, understand that we are fishermen, fisherwomen. We are fishers of men, fishers of women, young, old, it doesn't matter. But don't forget that Satan's a fisherman too. Satan is a fisherman too. And he has his minions, his minion fishermen. He has his vessels that are fishermen too. Don't forget, we have to be wise. Much wisdom is required in these last days. Much, much, much wisdom. And so Aaron, when he's pleading, he's acknowledging his sin. He says in verse 12, Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Whoa. That's some major descriptive words because he's referring to a stillbirth. I mean... In today's technology, we have all, you know, we have a, an abundance of technology. You're pregnant, about to give birth, you know, the doctors, they check the heartbeat, they do all these things. And, you know, back in the day, stillbirth, I mean, sometimes a lady would give birth, like the baby, and they'd be dead, not just dead, but like weeks dead. And I don't mean to be grotesque in saying this, but that's what Aaron is saying here. 
Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed. When he comes out of his mother womb, he's referring to a stillbirth already in a state of decay when he's leaving the womb. This baby. And I don't, I don't mean to sound. I know the imagery of that isn't pleasing. But what about the imagery of sin? It's not pleasing. It's not good. You see? Very interesting how this concept of, you know, birth and leaving the mother's womb equates to uncleanness and leprosy. Because I used to wonder, like, why leprosy? Why leprosy? But when you think about the foreshadowing of being born again. You remember when the Lord was speaking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus was, how, how does a guy go back into his mother's womb so he can be born again? How does that happen? Physically speaking, literally speaking, impossible. Spiritually speaking, being born again in Jesus Christ. Born again. And not being born again unto death, being born again unto life and life everlasting. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. You hear me talk about, you know, if you're listening, you hear me talk about the pew Christian, you know, or, you know, if you believe this, I, mean, I speak about the non-believers this. And if you're listening and you're not a believer, not a believer, become a believer. Point blank, right here, right now. Do it. Become a believer. Because God loves you. And just like Moses in the wilderness, for such a time as that, he saw the burning bush and he heard the voice, hey, come over here. I'm paraphrasing. But Moses, Moses, come here. And I'm wondering if you're not a believer and you're listening, I'm wondering if you hear the voice of the Lord calling out your name. What will you do? What will you do? I'll tell you what I want you to do. Go to the Lord. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what I want you to do. But you have a choice to make. I can't force you to do that. You have a choice to make. But I made that choice. I made that choice. And I'm forever grateful to the Lord. You see? I like to see this calling. You know, you hear me say believe in Jesus Christ, but you know, coming to Christ, it's how beautiful it is. But I like to think of it as the Lord saying, will you marry me? This great proposal, this great proposition. Will you marry me? At that point, you have a choice to make. You say, I do. Or do you say, I won't. You have a choice to make. And I pray you say, I do. I want you to say, I do. And if that's you, if you, if you are a non-believer right now, and you say, you know what? I do. I want you to hit the pause button right now. And you have to just scroll a little bit and listen for a message that says how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And listen to that. Acknowledge your sin. Repent. And be born again. 
And then you are my brother. You are my sister. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care. You say, oh, but I'm a crackhead. That's nice. I don't care. Oh, but I'm a sex head. That's nice. I don't care. Oh, but I did this. I did. I listen. I don't care. Because all come to Jesus Christ. Now, in the aftermath of becoming a believer, then I care. It's not that, you know, you're a crackhead. I don't care. And then you're, you know, you, in the aftermath of being born again, then you go back to crack. No, then I care. No, don't do that. Go and sin no more. And keep listening because we study the word of God. And then look what happens here. We're going to look at in Numbers chapter 12 in closing. In verse 13, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her. Oh God, I pray. Moses, he goes to intercede for his sister. He goes to intercede for his sister. In verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be, ash would she not be shamed seven days? Now, spitting denotes shame. It's like a shameful act. I mean, we see that in, in, in uh, um, uh, Isaiah 50, a prophecy about Jesus Christ, how they spit in his face. It was an, an act of, you know, acknowledgement of a shameful act. They did it to Jesus Christ, the, the, the religious establishment. Not that Jesus was shameful, but in their state of deception, the religious establishment, the religious leaders, because they were blind guides, because they were whitewashed tombs, that's what they did to Jesus Christ. But it was their own shame. And the Lord is saying here, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? It's, it's not a good thing. You know, in speaking about these Old Testament laws, Old Testament statutes, Old Testament customs, I'm very ca cautious when I refer to customs. I don't, I, I, for the most part, I don't like speaking about customs, especially in this day and age. I don't like speaking about customs because people, like, they use that as an excuse. Well, it was custom. It was part of their culture to do this. I really don't care about culture. I really, I could care less about culture because I read my Bible and the Bible has its own culture, Old Testament and New Testament. The Bible has its own culture. You know, people, they like to make excuses for things that happened in, you know, 300 AD, 200 AD, 50 AD. They like to make excuses for what happened in 700 AD. They say, oh, that culturally speaking, it was permitted. Okay. I read my Bible. It's like, well, where is that in church culture? Where is this permitted in church culture? You know, reading the Bible. Where is it in the Bible that this is permitted? Well, culturally, I don't care. Church, church culture. People today, they use it in culture as an excuse. So that's why I don't, I, I don't like bringing up culture too much. You know, there are going to be times where it is brought up. There are going to be times where it is applicable. But there, you know, for the most part, when people bring up culture, the first, like red flags, people bring up culture to me, boom, red flags in my mind. Be careful what this guy says, because sometimes they try to make excuse for past error and glossing over past error. Oh, that was just culturally speaking. Like you listen to people talk about Geneva. They tried to gloss over the happenings of Geneva where Christians were killed, beheaded, beaten by the Protestant Pope. You see? 
so-called Protestant Pope. Oh, that was that that just that was just for that culture. This was culturally accepted back then. Oh, did we not have a New Testament back then? You see? Did not Tyndale have his writings? You see? Oh, but this was culturally acceptable. I read the book of Acts, which precedes this culture that you're referencing. Where is it acceptable? It's not acceptable. You're trying to gloss over things by referring to this as culture. You see, you have to be wise in these last days. That's how people try to explain away stupid things, such as Geneva. So let's look what happens here in verse 14. He says, let her be shut out of the camp seven days and afterward she may be received again. Whoa, out of the camp. Miriam, Miriam, the sister of Moses. Not without correction. You see, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplined the entirety of the camp of Israel and now he's disciplining the upper echelon, so to speak. Miriam. Don't forget, Moses tried to inter or Moses did intercede for his sister. In verse 13, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. He interceded for Miriam. And sometimes your intercession, sometimes it's overridden. Sometimes. Sometimes it's overridden. You have to understand that. Miriam was in the wrong and Moses still interceded. And you know what? It's not to, you know, to be gleeful about somebody that's in the wrong. But when somebody's in the wrong, you intercede for them, just like Moses did. And it could be that, you know, the Lord in your intercession, the Lord hears you and, you know, acknowledges the sin and you know the and your intercession and responds and says okay you know what you know you've interceded okay i'm i'm not going to do this now the lord might relent but there're going to be times when the lord does not relent does that mean you just say okay i'm not going to intercede because the lord's going to do this no you still intercede you still make your prayers and petitions known. You know why? Because it helps your heart stay soft. Soft. It helps prevent your heart from getting harder and harder and harder. It's a step in the right direction because your heart is getting softer and softer and softer before the throne of grace. Before the throne of mercy. And so look what happens here in verse 15. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. Very interesting. So the people were well aware. Moses, we're packed up, ready to go. Moses, we're, re we're ready to go. We're waiting. How come we're not leaving? Oh, I forgot. Miriam, your sister. Somebody doesn't know. Hey, what's up? You know, I'm, I'm packed up. We're ready to go. What's up? Why are we going? What, what, what's happening? The, the, you know, we're ready. Oh, Mir Miriam. See, see that little, see that little figure outside the camp? See it way in the distance? You see that, you know, that figure out there? Yeah. That's Miriam. 
Miriam? Moses' sister? Yep. Whoa. What did she do? You know, the Lord deemed her unclean. The Lord made her a leper. <gasps> what? She's a leper? Yep. Seven days she's out of the camp. What? Seven days? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. The people, Israel, they are learning the fear of the Lord. Turn with me really quick to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, a pastoral epistle. This is what Pastor, uh, Pastor Paul writes to Pastor Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy, Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. Whoa! Pastor Paul is telling Pastor Timothy to do that to those who are sinning. Now, I have to say, you, if somebody's in sin, you know, it's like, you know, you pray for them, but you also correct them. If, if you're um, you're not carnal, if you're not a hypocrite, I mean, if somebody's a crackhead and you're a crackhead too, you can't correct the crackhead because you're a crackhead too. That's hypocrisy. But if you're not a crackhead and you're not a sex head, you're not an alcoholic, you're not this, you're not a tax cheat, all these things... You have the plank that is removed from your, your eye. You have, the Lord says, remove the plank from your own eye. It's not like, you know, uh, Lord, take this plank from my eye. No, you have to take the plank from your own eye, which means you have a choice to make. Don't be a hypocrite. You take the plank from your own eye and then you are able to see clearly. And when you are able to see clearly, this is what Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all. You see? That the rest also may fear. Wow. Now, I'm going to say something. If you're a pastor, if you're a pastor, you're an elder, you're in church leadership, and you do this, you tell a brother, hey, you know what? You, know, you have to put the crack pipe down. And the brother says, yeah, whatever, dude. Whatever, that's, you know, whatever. You come to him again. Hey, I love you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your family. But you know what? You have to put the crack down. Whatever, dude, you know. Maybe even a third time. Hey, you know, we're gonna, it's communion Sunday, but you, I don't want you to, you're not taking of communion. Why? Because what, what is happening? You're a crackhead. You know, you're on the crack pipe. You can't do it. And, and, you know, I say crack. It could be sex, alcohol, drugs, you know. Uh, you know, I, you sow seeds of judgment to yourself by taking of communion. So, you know what? Don't do communion. The only way you can do communion is if you repent. You have to repent before communion. And then once you've repented, you've been washed, then you can partake of communion. Oh, whatever, you know. Oh, whatever. I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna still do my crack. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I don't fear him, but yeah, I love the Lord. 
And on top of my crack, I'm going to do my sex. I'm going to do my other drugs. I'm going to do my alcohol. I'm going to be a tax cheat. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to beat up this guy. I'm going to beat up this lady. I'm going to do whatever. And that's just that. Okay. You've made your effort, pastor. You've made your effort, elder, biblically, in obedience to the Lord, in obedience to the head pastor. Then verse 20 comes into play of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Those who are sinning, rebuke, rebuke, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. Now, if you do this, if you apply what Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy, if you do this, you will be hated. You will be hated. People will leave your fellowship. But they'll know. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you, Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice. It's not, you know, it's not without prejudice. It's, it's not in isolation of a particular brother, in isolation of a particular sister. No, it's in isolation of the sin. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. We're going to see this applied when Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, hey, take that brother and kick him out. Get him out of the fellowship because a little leaven leavens the bunch. Carnality. Now, the only way you can do that, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, the only way you can do that is if you're not a hypocrite. You're not carnal. Remember, you who are non-carnal, restore such a one in a spirit of uh, gentleness. You can't be carnal. You also cannot be a hypocrite. Cannot. Hypocrites need not apply. Carnal need not apply. It's to walk according to the Spirit. Denial of the flesh. Walking in humility. The meek shall inherit the earth. No prejudice. It's not to say, oh, I don't like that guy. You know, uh, uh, I don't like the way he dresses, so I'm going to kick him out of the church. No, that's not biblical. It's without prejudice. Doing nothing with partiality, no favoritism. You know, oh, I just want uh, uh, rich people in my church, so I'm going to rebuke all the poor people. No. Remember, in Christ, there's no slave, free, rich, poor, male, female in Christ. God is no respecter of persons. And you know what? His servants are no respecter of persons. His servants. You see? This is the New Testament, the New Covenant. You know how, you, how, how I say the Old Testament interprets the Old, the Old interprets the New? You see in the Old Testament in our passage in Numbers 12, a, a New Testament example, and in the New Testament, an Old Testament example. Of the congregation learning the fear of the Lord. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, it's those who are sinning. In Numbers chapter 12, it's Miriam. Miriam. On full display, she's a leper. On full display. And the camp of Israel, they learn the fear of the Lord. You see? Let's go back to Numbers 12. In verse 16, And afterward the people moved from Hazaroth 
and camped in the wilderness of Paran. You see how beautiful this is? Yes, it's chastisement. I mean, don't forget that people have been buried already. In, in chapter 12, or in chapter 11, we looked at there, there were passages where they buried their dead with the quail. You know, they had all this quail. And after the quail, there were, you know, people died. And they had to bury them. Uh, bury, uh, 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 there was burials in the camp. The quail was already a curse. And now here in chapter 12, Miriam is unclean. She's a leper. And Israel, Israel is learning the fear of God. Learning. Freed from Egypt. Slaves to Egypt no more. But still, slaves to sin. After all the Lord has done, these are people who have to learn the fear of the Lord. Obedience unto the Lord. The same way, the exact same way, you and me need to learn the fear of the Lord and to obey Him. Understanding that His ways are better than ours. We learn to trust Him. It's the process of growth and maturity. You see? So you hear me say that Israel is learning to fear the Lord, but turn with me really quick in closing to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So you see in chapter 10 here, verse uh, one, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud in this, and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. You see? Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain murmuring and complaining new covenant believers murmuring and complaining the same as you know numbers 11 you have the people murmuring and complaining numbers 12 aaron and miriam are murmuring and complaining you see in verse 10 chapter 10 of first corinthians we have new covenant believers you know who that is you and me nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, as examples. And they were written for our admonition, which is uh, warning is how it translates. They were written for our admonition. It's a warning, but it's an instruct. It's inst warning as instruction. 
upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In closing our study, in Numbers 12, you hear me say, you know, the people are learning the fear of the Lord. They're learning the fear of God. They're learning to trust in Him and obey His ways, understanding and learning that their own ways are worse. That's for Israel. Not exclusively. It's for you and me as well. May we be a people that learns to trust in the Lord more and more every day. No murmuring, no complaining. We learn to obey Him more and more. We fall deeper and deeper in love with Him. Not excluding the fear of the Lord. We're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, pick up in chapter 13 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.